All right, welcome on to the Los Links Talk Show. Long, uh, you know, long, uh, we've had a little break here. Long uh, break in the schedule. Uh, the WNBA season is uh, postponed for now. We don't know when it's going to happen, but uh, we do know that the WNBA draft is right around the corner. Uh, the 2020 WNBA draft will take place uh, on uh, coming here on Friday. Uh, they're going to uh, do an uh, interesting sort of remote uh, draft uh, situation, as is uh, you know it's kind of our world right now. Everyone's uh, doing everything on Zoom, so the WNBA will also be uh, doing remote uh, draft this year. But we need to talk about what the Lynx might do. They hold uh, the sixth and sixteenth picks uh this year in the draft same same spots they held last year um you know and uh you know i I pretty much uh, only watch the wnba don't watch a lot of college basketball so i needed to enlist an expert probably the person who i know uh who is uh you know the most well informed on both the the college side and the pro side oh yes indeed we are talking about none other than ben dull ben welcome to the los links talk show Man, what an introduction. Thank you. I definitely don't deserve that, but thanks for having me on. Ben, you're all over it, man. All, you know, it's uh, you know, in the summer you're you're dialed into the WNBA and then you dive right into uh college basketball, primarily the Pac-12, but you watch it all. You've got a, you know, you've uh, you know, you write for uh for uh, the B-ball index and high post hoops about all these things. You've got a, you know, a big uh, mock draft up right now on B-ball index. Yeah, all 36 picks are on there. We're not just talking about the first round over there. You, you do the whole thing. So come on, man. You are you are you are well informed, right? You know these players backwards and forwards. Well, the thing I'm gonna say is just like I'm looking. I look back. I mean, I come at this as I'm still looking at some of the stuff I did last year, and it's like, uh, but you <laughs> you live it. You live and you learn. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to say you're always right, but you are very uh, always well informed. You know what I mean? More than most folks too. So, uh, so yeah, that's why we have you on today. We're gonna we're gonna focus on uh, the the potential of what could happen here on Friday and and who the links uh, might be looking at uh, primarily with that with that sixth pick. Uh, just league wide, there's such a roster crunch all around. It's really hard for teams to you know add multiple players in a draft. Uh, usually just that first round pick will stick and then the rest, you know, kind of just got to fight for the scraps or go overseas and come back, hopefully something like that. But so we're going to mainly focus on the first round pick for the Lynx uh, here this year. And uh, consensus here uh, as far as a couple days away uh, from the draft is essentially it seems like the top four picks are locked in. Ben, is, is that kind of how you're seeing things? Obviously, you know, we have the big two um, at the top. And then as far as three and four, I feel like those could kind of go either way. But who are the four players we're talking about at the top as far as locks? And, and, and do you agree that we kind of see those as, as being solid? Yeah, I mean, and, and in, in some order for sure. Sabrina Ionescu and Satu Sabli out of Oregon, uh, Lauren Cox out of Baylor, and then Kennedy Carter, an early entrant, along with Sabli out of Texas A&M, you know, it, it's it's no secret like that those names are in that range. Coaches and GMs have have been haven't been afraid to just basically come right out and say that even on the record. Um, so in a way, you know, you kind of have that known. But I, you, you never, I mean, maybe a trade happens. You know, I think I think at least publicly, you know, a lot of people look trying to look at this and make sense of it have moved towards. You know, UNESCO is always seen as the number one pick, and and now it's kind of moving towards Sabli being a pretty obvious choice at two. But you never want to, you know, write off the possibility of a trade, whether it's Indiana at three, moving around, and then Atlanta at four. You know, they have to wait and see what happens above them. So, and then Dallas is sitting there at five, and they've got they've got five and seven after two. Yeah, and that's you know it, you know if you again kind of go back to consensus on mock drafts and kind of what people are you know kind of saying at this point in the in the process it's you know kind of five is kind of where things get into we're kind of taking it in that way five is kind of where things get interesting and then this whole first round is just kind of wide open at that point I mean Ben you have uh, you have this draft kind of ranked in tiers and in the, in the, and such and you have uh, Sabrina um, uh, Sabli and Carter. Um, all in your tier one, um, but then uh, 
you have a couple players in two, and then you have a lot of players then that are in a tier three. So it's kind of you know eye of the beholder at that point, and maybe what your team needs or you know specific to the team is maybe where these players can be picked anywhere from you know five to what all the way down to yeah you got you got a huge tier three there that goes all the way down to you know pick fifteen. I believe in your latest uh, mock. So there's a lot of players that are, you know, potentially available. And then you throw in the the other interesting thing of, you know, sort of Dallas, you know, being the, you know, the holder of so many of these choices. Not only do they have two, um, but they're at five and they're at seven as well. So, you know, it's interesting that the links are kind of right in between them too. this whole like five, six, seven dance with, with the two of those teams, how that's going to shake out. You mentioned the possibility of trades. Lots can happen there. Lots of names kind of flying around. So, you know, uh, we both, uh, you know, were part of a, a call the other day with Cheryl Reeve talking, um, you know, mostly about uh, draft type things. And, you know, she kind of said that it is uh, kind of down to three or four players for them, kind of in their range, kind of players they're looking at. So we're going to kind of, you know, try and figure out maybe who those players might be and, and talk about who the most likely um, players are that the Lynx might be looking at or just, you know, who we think are in that range and make sense for the Lynx. We got five names here and uh, we're going to start with point guards. You know, if you again, going back to a lot of uh, mock drafts for the Lynx, a lot of people, you know, think the Lynx are going to go with it. We'll go with a point guard here, go with a guard. Obviously, that is kind of kind of their weakness. If you look at their, um, you know, their uh, their roster and their potential <clears throat> potential roster for 2020, front court pretty much figured out. Back court, not so much, um, especially with the question marks around Odyssey Sims <clears throat> and her availability. So we want to look at the point guards here, and you know, again, if we take Carter out of the mix, um, you know, the next the next point guards that you could look at here um, are Ty Harris and uh, Crystal Dangerfield. Um, so let's start there, Ben. What do you know about these players? Let's compare. Let's contrast. You know, let's talk about what we uh, what we're getting from these two players, and you know, kind of how you see their fit uh, with the current uh, iteration of the Minnesota Lynx. So, so Dangerfield to start. I think it's a little easier to be concise with 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 her. You know, she's a really good shooter. Can shoot it off the dribble, handoffs coming around a screen. That's obviously obviously a valuable thing when you can shoot it off the, on the move too. You're not you're not just a spot up shooter, and it's easy to point to Leilani Mitchell. You know, just another short point guard, and Crystal's listed at five five, and that is probably even a little generous. So her size, oh, wow. yeah. So her size is obviously going to be a concern. She's not she's not an elite level. You know, she's not an elite. From a quickness standpoint, she's not she's not Ari McDonald, you know, in Arizona, who would have been a potential early entrant, just zooming to the rim, you know, whenever she gets the chance. So, a lot of the value is going to come down to the shooting and and just you know how big of this how big of an obstacle the size might be, and then and then the temptation too, right, is to always kind of point to the top of the heap, right? Are you just assuming that she can be a Leilani Mitchell kind of player? Well, you know, if if it were easy. To, to be what Leilani is at that size, more people would do it, right? So, you know, it's it's also just, you know, what what's what, what do teams really think the ceiling is for Dangerfield? And then I guess with Ty Harris, you know, she was she was a part of two really good teams at South Carolina her freshman year. They win the national title, and this year they're the number one team head, what would have been heading into the tournament. And, you know, them versus them and Oregon were on this collision course and not getting to see that game is obviously just it it really stinks that we didn't get to see it happen but you know the thing with ty harris is teams clearly clearly like her size she's listed at 510 uh you know just she can manage a game she's she's proven that she can you know be the point guard on a team that has a lot of mouths to feed but then also she just she morphs and she kind of just just does what she needs with very different sets of players, right? Her freshman year when she's playing with Asia Wilson, Alicia Gray, Kayla Davis, uh, Elena Coates, to this year where they're playing with three freshmen and, and you know, end up being, you know, the best team in the country heading into the tournament. So that that clearly means a lot to teams and just... But I think the, the question for both, too, and, and relating it to Minnesota, too, right, is, okay, but do people think they're a starter? Do they think that's a for-sure thing? Do they think it's fifty percent a fifty percent outcome? 
or are we looking at them as backups? And I think that's where it, it makes it interesting to look at this for Minnesota. Yeah, and that's that's something that is interesting as, as far as, again, going back to the call with Cheryl the other day. You know, lots of questions about taking a point guard and everything, and she was quick to... Uh, I believe you know. You know, she she kind of said that she didn't think she didn't see uh, you know a rookie point guard starting for the Lynx in 2020. So that's that was a little bit of a tell right there. I think that either you know she likes one of these two players, but maybe doesn't see them as a starter at least right away, or just the fact that they might try and you know that they ha- have other plans as far as this choice is concerned, and maybe aren't considering a point guard. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because because yeah, I, I wonder if either of these these players can evolve into becoming um, a starting level player. I mean, the links right now, again, if you take Sims out of the equation, you know, you're looking at Lexi Brown and uh, Rachel Bannum as your potential point guard um, point guards there. And, you know, that's, that leaves a lot to be desired. I, I think that could work, but, you know, I think you, <laughs> you'd feel a lot better with, uh, you know, something else potentially there. Um, you know, Cheryl also pointed to the 2021 uh, uh, free agency uh, as far as point guards go. Um, looking pretty good. I don't necessarily know who those players are <laughs> quite yet, but, you know, she she's already looking to that and also mentioned that next year's draft um, also has some good point guards potentially in it. So even if they don't pick one here, it could be a situation where down the road they try and try and figure that out. Um, but, Ben, I mean, as far as these two point guards go, I mean, who you have them kind of in the same tier here, but, you know, uh, I don't know. Is the size, I guess for Dangerfield, obviously you mentioned Mitchell, um, other small players, Mariah Jefferson, Jordan Canada, you know, those kind of other small point guards who have made it work to varying degrees. Uh, I mean, especially with the size of Dangerfield, I feel like that's kind of one of the biggest differences between these two players is, you know, one's 5'10", and one, if you, know, if you say 5'5", five, five is not, not even it, you know, 5'3", five, 5'4", five, you know, what does the size, I guess, in the, in the WNBA mean for a point guard, and do you think Dangerfield can kind of transcend all that despite her size? Yeah, so first I want to say something about, about Jordan Canada. She's getting brought up way too much, in my opinion, like with player comps and trying to talk about small point guards making it. Like, Jordan... Jordan is unbelievably fast. She can get in the lane whenever she wants. She had a really good handle. In college, you already knew that she had that. She's got long arms, and she was an awesome defender. That was, She already had shown that in college, and that obviously it's nothing to show it in the league, but then she also already has. She made an all-defense team already you know, in her second season. So it, it, it's just, I think it's been a little strange seeing her name come up this much. Again, like you just, it's not, you know, even it's just, Okay, she yeah, she isn't very tall, but there's also a lot of... And, and the jump shot's a question for Jordan, too, right? But, like, there's a lot of stuff there that she does at an extremely high level that most short guards just aren't going to meet. But with... Yeah, I mean, with the size, you know, it's it's tough because, like, look at Washington, right? They did a lot of switching. They would do the, the kick-out switching with Christy Tolliver because, you know, when you just... When you have someone on the shorter side, you just... You have fewer options, and you might want to put, and, and if that player is, is an elite defender and it's it's just tougher when you're shorter to contest shots, even if you stay in the picture and things like that. So it just gives you, you know, you just have fewer options to work with when you have that. We saw that with Mitchell too sometimes with when Phoenix would get into the playoffs. So, I mean, I mean, it's, you know, coaches and GMs too, they've kind of said this to a danger field, right? It's, you're probably looking at, you know, someone that's a solid backup and, I don't think you're you're really saying this is hey this is a slam dunk as a starter for the next decade. Yeah, and as far as some of the skills go, I mean it, it's hard to kind of look at a, a new draft pick, a high lottery pick or lottery you know era you know sort of in that range pick for the links, and you you know you kind of just want to take the best player available, but also you have to I think you know in the WNBA kind of look at what you have right now a little bit more more than the NBA and and obviously the links you know for this year and, and hopefully for a few more years we'll have Sylvia Fowles as the you know as the centerpiece of of their team and and so I you know I think you know it's kind of been it's over the last few years the Lynx have kind of shot more threes got more floor spacing and gravity kind of around fouls 
And so, you know, I just wonder if that is going to come into play here. And, you know, it seems like Dangerfield is, is the better shooter of the two of them, um, you know, at least from three anyway. But what do you think about Harris, um, uh, you know, as a, as a shooter, as a floor spacer, as someone who can kind of, you know, play around fouls or, you know, play around a big centric offense where you need to have the floor spaced a little bit? You know, who, who might be better to kind of play around fouls and, and Collier and, you know, the, the, the sort of bigs that, that the Lynx have right now? Yeah, you know, Harris was about, you know, she was she was about thirty, you know, she was like thirty three, ish, shooting the three, and then this past year I believe she was at thirty eight, uh, on on you know relatively low volume. You know, you're talking like two and a half, three attempts a game. Choosing between the two, you know, I I ranked Dangerfield eight, Harris nine. Like I I flip flopped on that a billion times, and it's become so clear that people just. You know, people in the league clearly just really like Harris, so I, you know, I may well go in and change that as I make a few changes with in the aftermath of the Tina Charles trade. But yeah, I, I would probably slightly lean Harris. Just you know, she's really proven. Can she get you into your offense? You know, be more of a setup guard and and be okay with hey, like yeah, we need you to get us into this offense. But then, you know, you might have to just after that, you might spend a lot of time spotting up. You won't. You might not have the ball all the time. And I think that's kind of been a big, kind of a big uh, plus in how Harris has looked at is she's clearly okay with that, and she has done a tremendous job helping her team. You know when they when they've asked her to you know to 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 be a really a guiding hand even if you don't have the ball all the time, which isn't easy to do. Yeah, I th- yeah, and it seems you know I think Cheryl even mentioned that you know I think that she sees Harris as you know, has Harris on their board a little bit higher than Dangerfield. And it just sort of makes sense when you think about just sort of this seems like, you know, Harris is kind of more of the steadying hand and kind of the, you know, run, run the ship and, you know, make sure, make sure kind of everything happens as it's supposed to out there a little bit more of the floor general, I guess. And I don't know, it just seems like, yeah, especially with her defense, with her defense. Again, I think (laughs) I I didn't watch a lot, but, you know, it seems like she's regarded as, is it true to say she's regarded as the better defender of the two of them as well? I think so because, and again, because of the size, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, Crystal's not Civ. You know, she's got she's got good feet. She can really defend. I've I've heard her people bringing up UConn's game against Oregon, and they felt all things considered that Crystal did a pretty decent job on on UNESCO. And that's you know, and that's playing pick and roll defense. It's not you know, she's not shutting her down on ISOs. But but yeah, Harris and I, the Harris has been lauded for her defense too. And then the size comes in really big there too because you know depending on the matchups what the other team's backcourt looks like it just have any option hey we can have regard the one or the two on this team we can move that around like that that can become really important where you know there might just there are probably a lot of two guards and even some point guards where just a smaller player it's just yeah like if they get in the wrong matchup that player's just going to work to a spot and shoot over them like it's nothing yeah, so it kind of seems like Harris, you know, if given the decision, if it comes down to it and, the, and both are still on the board, that the Lynx, you know, kind of would maybe lean towards Harris. But obviously there's a lot that can happen. Maybe she's off the board. Maybe there's a trade. Who knows? I mean, you can still see a scenario where Dangerfield, you know, is on the Lynx at some point. Uh, Cheryl even, you know, obviously joked that, uh, you know, Nafisa was, uh, you know, making sure her voice was heard about who uh, she thinks should be on the Lynx next year. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as the point guard situation. I, I guess at this point, just again, with all we know, I guess all the signs that Cheryl's putting out there, and again, maybe she, maybe she's playing us a little bit here in the media, but it seems like she's kind of telling us that the, the point guard thing, you know, is maybe a little bit less likely to happen than, you know, the, you know, than the, the, the current sort of mocks might have you believe. So, you know, we'll see about that. But let's move to a few other players here who play different positions. Well, can we, um, can we, to, to yeah. jump in, can we talk about that a second? Just like. Sure. Yeah, of course. Is, yeah. Just the question of, is that all a smokescreen? We, you know, we yeah, talked about, knows? we, we talked about this before we started a little bit. I, I've been inclined to, to drink the Kool-Aid on that. I think. I think that's, you know, I just, I agree with that way of looking at it because there's just, there was this, especially early, there was just a sentiment, oh my goodness, the Lynx, they need a point guard, what's going to, what's wrong, you know, what's, how's it, you know, what are they going to do? And and it's, I think it's been a little, that's been very zoomed in on 2020 to do that. Yet, you know, you've mentioned, you know, you mentioned Odyssey, she's still a part of the team, she's still a part of the team, 
And also, you mentioned Reeve pointing to the 2021 class. I think three, maybe even four of those point guards are better, you know, than what might be available to them at six at the position. So, yeah, that's that needs to come into this too. And I, I think I think Lexi Brown's a better WNBA player than those other players, those other point guards that will be available too. It's You might have a different kind of team, but... You know they've they've invested in Lexi too, and then they've added Rachel Bannum. But I think you know, I think Brown especially that that's someone that needs to play in in what we uh, a season that we hopefully have. What how have you kind of viewed viewed the the whether that's a possible smokescreen or not? Yeah, totally, and yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and I think yeah, you don't want to pick. I don't know. Again, it's hard. I mean, if you get someone who's who's yeah, the, the number six pick, you'd like to think that you're not drafting a backup, simply a backup point guard, right? You want, if if that's kind of the ceiling you see for them, or if that's, you know, the, actually what it's going to become in a few years, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the best uh, selection at that, at that moment. Maybe you can, you know, get someone again down the road or even with the second round pick potentially. I don't know who might be available there. But if, if back again, if backup or sort of like project backup is, is is kind of what you're looking at with the number six pick, it just doesn't seem like the, it just seems like there's other players on the board who, you know, have a ceiling um, that, you know, is higher than that. And they could maybe be a starting level talent for you. Um, so so uh, you, you'd like to think that, you know, they, they would maybe see it that way as well is that they can get their point guard down the road. And yeah, especially if they're not going to be a starter, then what are you doing? Just just kick the can down the road. You have other uh, point guards you ha- you know they might not be the most ideal for whatever you're trying to do right now but you know it's not like the links are contending this going to be contending this year anyway and obviously they want to put the best team forward and you know make the playoffs and make some noise and stuff but it's not like this is their year anyway so i don't know i feel like they can again they can kind of the whole starting point guard search can kind of be more of a you know in the next uh you know 18 months kind of decision uh here rather than oh we need to or i guess it's even more of like a 12 month decision than right right we got to figure this out right now so yeah I, th- I think that makes sense and and uh yeah maybe we need to settle down on the whole idea of the links have to take a point guard well and what i think we would also agree on this too you look like i don't think their their personnel they're not they're not stuck in sand or regressing offensively if you look at a potential lineup they throw out if you throw out brown chichilis and Osini, both of those players you, you would have to look at as you know they're very much on the rise Nafisa Collier, if she improves her shooting, and she's obviously going to be a go-to option for them. Demiris Dantas has real gravity at the four. They're going to be in a better spot offensively, right? I mean, that's that's four really good shooters out there around Sill, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, the the Danielle Robinson experiment is over. So yeah, no uh, no more non-shooters. No one that no one's going to guard or whatever. So yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think it's you're already going to kind of have that improvement with the players you have on roster. Um, cool. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about some other players here. The Lynx might be considering here at the number six pick. I want to talk about uh, the player you have in your tier two, uh, Bella Allery out of Princeton. Uh, somebody who you know, even even the college basketball nerds maybe uh, didn't get to see too much of her uh, playing in the Ivy League uh, there. But you know, what can you tell us about? Bella Allery, what kind of player is she? What does she bring to the table? And uh, what could the potential fit with the Lynx be there? Yeah, I, I've, I, I guess you'd have to say I've come out on the higher end on Ballery, on on Bella Allery than uh, than some of the mock drafts you see, where you know almost all of the three you know quote unquote next point guards, including Taya Cooper, in there sometimes have gone before her, which has kind of surprised me. Because as you as you brought up, if you get back to just thinking about okay, what what's what are these players' roles going to be? You know, what can they become? You know, if you look at Bella, you know, no, she's not Elena Deladon. You know, people can stop with that. Like she's not going to be that. But she's but, white and she's blonde. <laughs> and and to some degree of it, you know, of course, there's some healthy skepticism, right? She played in the Ivy League, and if people didn't watch a lot of it, I can tell you, yeah, I mean, a lot of her baskets were. She's posting up someone that's 5'10", and she's going to turn and shoot over him. And she could even turn and shoot over a triple team if she wanted to, right? It's just, you know, with with the length, the height, the strength, there just weren't a lot of people that could really bother her. But somebody that's 6'4", I think, one, 
you know, she just she's pretty fluid when she moves. And again, she's not Elena. She doesn't move like Candace Parker, but she's six four. She's pretty fluid. And there have been some some glimpses. Again, it's been tougher to see him a lot because because of the competition level. But like in the NCAA tournament last season against Kentucky, just the few the few glimpses you'd see of her bringing it up, of her at the three point line putting a dribble move on somebody. Like okay, like that's like that's something. Yeah, it didn't happen a lot, and I get if people want to be skeptical, also of also of her three point shot because she didn't take a ton of them. You know, she's another player like two and a half, three a game. You know, shooting like in the mid thirties. So yeah, how real is that? But you know, this is also somebody who was like canning, you know, turnaround jumpers, you know, pull up jumpers occasionally. Like she clearly has pretty good touch. So I think. You know, even if you're looking at her as, okay, maybe a third big, you know, she obviously has to get stronger. You know, it's good good time to bring up core strength. You know, is that buzzword, right? But just, you know, <laughs> there's there's stuff to look at. But I think the total package there, I just, you know, the forwards at that size with all that stuff, there just aren't a lot of those. Yeah, so and would you would you say her 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 biggest you know uh, maybe weakness it would be just defense uh, just defense at the WNBA level especially I mean power forwards they're they're plentiful in the WNBA there's a, there's a lot of really good ones and and is is the idea that she might struggle to match up against fours in the WNBA defensively I think I think she I think she did eventually work out okay you know she blocked a lot of shots obviously with her size she is really long. Which really helps. I don't think she's. I, don't, I wouldn't call her slow-footed. There's, probably, there's, you know, obviously going to be an adjustment. There is for everybody. I think she. I mean, I think she grades out okay. You know, just, you know, okay. Someone that will alter and impact a lot of shots, and that that by itself has value. And, you know, is, is she a elite one-on-one defender against the, the, you know, at the hardest position in the league? Probably not. But, you know, I think there's, you know, just. You know, as a team defender, just her instincts. She cut her fouling down a little bit as a senior, which is good to see. Not that it was, not that it was a huge problem, but I, I think there's enough indicators that, that she's like a, she's gonna be a helpful defensive presence. I mean, so what is it then? I mean, is it is it really just boiled down to you know sort of the you know the mid major or I forget if that's even what you would call it, but sort of the smaller school, not in the spotlight, playing against lesser talent. Is that kind of the only thing you can really point to as a reason why other players might go above her? It's just kind of like who you played against and kind of the level of competition and you know potentially just not being sure what her ceiling is. Is is, is that why you know other players you know would be picked before her? I so. So in that in that range, if you want to call it five to you know through the end of the first round, I haven't I haven't heard from a team that's really skeptical of her. I think a lot more of that has been on the public side. And and one, yeah, I just to be frank, I just don't think a lot of people are watching Princeton, and just you know just it's just easy to just say, well, hey, I don't know, is is it going to translate? Uh, it, it's you know there, there's plenty there. I just think a lot of it's that just not getting to watch a lot of it and not getting to not getting to watch her against a couple more SEC schools, Pac-12, ACC, whoever, I just think that it's probably just such an easy thing to point to. Uh, that's that's probably a, the biggest thing on the public side that has impacted that. Yeah, a little, a little risky to you know pick someone like that. But on the other hand, you know, I think this is something that, you know, Reeve, you know, proved in last year's draft that that kind of matters is kind of the Team USA connection which I believe uh, Bella Ellery has played with the Team USA group. I don't totally know at what level or if, uh, you know, Reeve has had kind of more, you know, how much, you know, one-on-one or sort of like in the same gym uh, history because I believe that was the case last year with both Collier and and um, Jess Shepard is that they are both part of the Team USA program, some of those training camps and things like that. And so I think that does kind of go a long way, you know, with Cheryl, the ability to kind of get a little bit more, uh, you know, contact with them, be able to see them a little more, talk to them, know kind of who they are as a person, you know, as far as their personal drive or kind of, you know, who they, who they are. Um, so, so I wonder if that's the case here with, with Allery and I believe the next player we, we might be talking about here, Megan Walker, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on those. And as far as the team USA connection goes, but that's always something I'm looking for too, as far as Reeve goes. Cause I, I feel like that, that does play a factor beyond sort of like the, what they did in, in their college, college years. Yeah. Allery has, has done some stuff with USA basketball 
and, well, and, and also just, you know, I would say, you know, from a Link's perspective, since I'm obviously somebody who has Allery, you know, on the higher range, I think in a sense you might, you know, everyone wants, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's funny, everyone has obviously been asking her about, well, you know, are you going to do it again at number six, right? But I think... Right. If if they do if they do like Allery, I think in a way they might walk away on draft day, uh, feeling the same kind of way that they just kind of came away with somebody someone that maybe, and in Nafisa's case, obviously shouldn't have fallen to them. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, Bella Allery, um, and we'll move now to someone uh, you know from uh, from unheralded and kind of uh, kind of maybe under the radar. Uh, to someone uh, who plays, uh, you know, for Gino Oriema at uh, UConn and who Cheryl has a lot of uh, history with and obviously taking Nafisa last year out of UConn. Um, you know, that that's uh, that's kind of a go-to thing. And, and Megan Walker um, here um, also kind of in this range. Um, you know, I guess I would call her kind of a shooting guard slash small forward, kind of a wing type in that in that way. She's 6'1". Um, but yeah, same thing, you know, what does she bring to the table here and, um, you know, sort of, you know, what do you see, you know, Megan Walker early entrant here, uh, I believe Megan Walker coming in as a junior. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, the connection with Nafisa is there and, and those types of things. But, um, what, what do you think about Megan Walker? I've, I've again, I've seen her, she has a wide range too. You know, I've seen her from, you know, maybe this spot here, um, at six, uh, maybe even F five all the way down to you know the last pick in the first round. So lots of range here for her. What, what do you think about uh, Megan's Megan Walker's game? Walker really kind of exploded this season. This is really the first time, you know, largely because of of who graduated from UConn. It you know just from the start of the season, it was hey you know this is she's going to have a big role. She's going to be a big. She's going to have to drive a lot of their success and. She she scored, you know, to the tune of twenty points a game and forty five percent from three on about five attempts a game, and, and the you know just yeah catch and shoot wing. In a way, that's really the billing with Walker, and you know the question is, how you know what how much else can she do at the WNBA level, and and even would she have been better served if she had, you know, gone back to school for a year to work on to work on that. You know, to to take her in this range, it's just, you know, it is like, you know, I don't, you weren't, I wasn't watching a lot of UConn games saying, man, you know, she's really impacting this game defensively. You know, she kind of hangs back, kind of just relies on her length to rely on her length to contest a lot of shots, and they did a little bit of switching, and and, and they were also able to funnel at UConn, they were able to funnel a lot and just into Olivia Nelson Adota to block shots at the rim, so. And, and and at the you know if you're at the three you know she's not an elite athlete she's not sizing people up off the bounce like a you know prime Angel McCautry or Diamond to Shields so it's just it's just what are you getting beyond the shooting the shooting's valuable but it just it, there has to be more than that yeah so it kind of sounds like you're you're kind of questioning maybe the ceiling there as far as you know what this player could you know potentially become and, and and maybe if that's a little bit lower especially when it comes down to the defense and, and offensive explosion there um yeah so is that, is that kind of fair that there's maybe like a lower ceiling on on Megan Walker and you kind of you know you kind of know what you're getting but it potentially again might be a kind of as we're talking about whether they're a you know starting level player or a bench player you might be someone that's just more of a rotation uh player here lower ceiling probably also another way of thinking of it is just Walker might be the level of prospect where it's it's safer to think more about need. You know, if you are, you know, Minnesota, your your minutes at the three are, are spoken for, right? Like, it's just, I, I, it, I don't see, uh, I don't see a path where, you know, even in a few years, you know, she's not, she's obviously not taking minutes from Nafisa. And, you know, they also have Zandalassini, like they have other options there that are, that can help them. So it's just, you know, if, if a team happens to really need that and Dallas being in that range too, you know, they added some shooting and, you know, one of her former teammates, Katie Lou Samuelson. So it's just like, how do you, how do you look at this? If you don't see, uh, you know, boxes that she really important boxes that she checks immediately beyond that, it's just really, it can be hard to just project what, you know, how, yeah, I guess, I guess stealing again is a fair word to come back to. 
Yeah, it kind of, it kind of, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that it's it's you know the question obviously a lot of times comes is oh best player available or draft for need and and it kind of seems like Walker for the Lynx kind of is neither of those things like uh, potentially like there will be better players on the board as far as like who you see being you know a better overall WNBA player and it, you know she plays uh, you know a position that you kind of already have a lot going on. Therefore, I mean, we saw the the Ringer actually put out their WNBA mock today, and uh, yeah, their player comp for Megan Walker was Nafisa, and so it's like, oh yeah, we already we kind of already have her, I guess. So you know, you're kind of already set there. Yeah, you mentioned Zandalasenia, Christmas Kelly as well, kind of seems like a similar kind of like two three, uh, you know, kind of body uh, there. So yeah, it kind of seems like, especially from the Lynx. Uh, perspective that you know Megan Walker might not be um, you know in the cards here but again it's in the range and there's a lot of things that could happen as far as this whole like Dallas thing goes who do they want here can the Lynx move down maybe and get some uh, you know get the player they want and also you know pick up an asset or two or, or something like that so I feel like those things could be on the cards so I, th- I think it's still important to talk about Megan Walker um, and, and kind of have her in this mix even if you know we potentially you know see the Lynx maybe going in a different way Um Let's talk about one more player here, uh, Beatrice Mom Premier. I like that name, Mom Premier. What a name! Uh, a lot of a lot of good names. Beatrice is also a dope first name. I don't think we have a Beatrice in the WNBA, uh, you know. So it's always good. Uh, keep keep the fun names coming. Um, from Miami, power forward, center, six four. Uh, Beatrice Mom Premier. Watching some videos of her. Oh my goodness! In transition, she is she is fantastic. She's. She is, uh, yeah, She for, for a big body, she is really moving crazy long strides. The athleticism is kind of the first thing that really jumps out to me watching watching the little bit of clips that I did from her. Um, what do you think about Beatrice Mom Premier um, as a WNBA player? As, does all that stuff translate? And, and, and sort of what, you know, what do you see with uh, you know what she can potentially be here in the WNBA? Yeah, the, the starting point with Mom Premier is – and again, she kind of like Allery, she seems to get get pushed down a little, I guess, to a point where I've been kind of surprised at how far she's getting pushed down when some people are doing some mock drafts. And the big thing people are bringing up is, well, she hurt her foot this year. Well, I mean, every, you know, just because a big player hurt their foot, you know, every, it doesn't mean every, t- every time it happens, it's not a Jones fracture for everyone. We didn't get details publicly. You know, they didn't really make it clear what exactly the nature of that injury was so obviously the the intel teams have at their level is going to be a step above what we get so maybe that factors in you know it's it's it's, it's tough to know but it you know with mom premier you mentioned she can really run i mean at, at her size if she's playing center especially that's that's going to be big time offensively she definitely needs to, she definitely needs to work you know a lot harder to just kind of refine and polish her game. You know, she can size up at 15 feet, and when she took someone off the dribble, her back-to-basket, just, you know, drop step, spin move, was were kind of her go-tos. Like, it, it looked really good at times, but also it was a player, if you watched a lot, like, she goofed a lot of layups. It's like, why is that happening? Uh, and her, her first year in Miami, after she transferred from Baylor, she's below 60% at the free-throw line. So if you're trying to look at that and say, okay, she can she at least can she at least ha- hit the elbow jumper, maybe get there with the three. If you're if you know if you're looking at the free throw shooting as as a uh, indicator, maybe you're a little worried about that. She did bump up to she did bump up to 70 this year in the 17 games that she did play. But yeah, if if a team wants a center and and that's maybe where this gets interesting for Minnesota, although maybe. You know, if people are worried about the foot, maybe this is too high, but depending on what to do with Temi Fagbenle, especially, maybe that's, uh, bring, you know, bring in the Miami products to, to come learn from Sylvia Fowles. You know, who better who better for, for Mom Premier to learn from? Yeah, the the Miami connection is real. I believe Mom Premier High School in Miami and you know, still from that area as well, South Florida in the house here. So, yeah, I'm sure they've had connection and Probably know each other a little bit, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, as a backup center, I guess I was thinking of her more as a power forward, but you're kind of saying, yeah, it's more more of a center. I suppose she could play, you know, alongside a center as well. But yeah, the foot, the foot injury, that's always scary with bigs, but yeah, it is reassuring to kind of hear that it's not always 
it's not always a death knell. It doesn't mean your career is over before it started. Even if you've had a foot injury and you're a big, you know, you can you can transcend that. And it doesn't have to be, yeah, like you said, Jones fracture or some of these really intense ones. Um, I, I like how she can. I mean, you mentioned she's blowing layups a little bit, but I like that she's using her left hand too. She can go left, she can go, you know, right hand, left hand in the in the post. You know, it's good that she's using both those, even even if occasionally they're not going in. Sometimes you don't see that. That's one of my bugaboos about the WNBA. Sometimes actually is you know, especially up close, especially big. Sometimes not using the the correct hand on on the side and getting their shot blocked or or whatever it is. So I, I like that she can go use her left hand, use her right hand. Uh, just a, seems like just a good hustle player and just you know someone that can you know just yeah brings that really brings that energy. But another one where it's kind of maybe maybe six is is too high. I, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, again, to someone who, I don't know, it's hard for me to hear that they potentially would are, are, are backup players. Again, we keep kind of going back to this, but I don't know. Am I being too sensitive about that? Is this like just thinking of a normal, maybe trying to take the links out of it, just in the normal first round of a WNBA draft, you know, if you just get a rotation player, quote unquote, just get a, you know, uh, if they're only a rotation player out, out of the first round, is that necessarily always a, uh, you know, a miss uh, in a lot of ways? Or how do you kind of see that as far as like when you, you know, where's the line of like where you should have a starter versus, you know, potentially having a, having more of a rotation or a backup player? Honestly, I mean, I just the the answer I think for most people should just be I don't know, and that's my answer, right? I mean, I, look no further than last year. You know, did people think Nafisa Collier was a slam dunk starter in the WNBA? Most people, at least publicly, thought no. Uh, it, it's it, that that's that's where it gets tough with with Mom Premier. The the question I would ask too that kind of that kind of dictates why I said that is, you know say you know Sylvia Fowles rolls her ankle and misses two weeks or even you know a couple years down the line say you know if if so were to retire at that point I just I haven't felt like I had a really good grip on and hadn't really been able to you know dig up much uh you know dig up much from the people I talked to that you know were really feeling for sure like hey she you know mom premier can anchor a defense that's the thing too where you know, watching Miami games, you know, last season, which is the bit, you know, probably the big sample that gets looked at more because she was healthy all year. She was playing next to Amisa Hoff, who got drafted by Phoenix and was in camp with them. And between those two, it was kind of, okay, which one's the power forward, which one's the center. She wasn't, Mom Premier wasn't always necessarily, you know, at the center of it all, uh, you know, at the rim. She did have, I mean, monster rebounding numbers, but just, you know, play to play, when kind of you know the buck stops with her is also you know do teams think she can be somebody who's you know can really can really help them and just really really bolster their defense back there cool uh any other names here that that potentially could be in the mix for the links at six uh cooper and and uh uh hebert i guess kind of i've, I've seen their names kind of thrown around in the more the middle of the first round any any of these other names make sense to you for the links at six yeah, I'm not sure. Ruthie Hebert is is the probably the other one who's who's also been getting thrown up a little bit higher, closer to that range, I guess. You know, to be brief, to be brief at this one, just I don't know what's you know what's the game going to look like for Ruthie at the next level. You know, she was aw- just awesome finisher at Oregon, but the the game's just going to look a little different. You know, I don't, I don't think. Ruthie's gonna be big enough to where you're gonna throw it to her on the block against a good a good teams where you know at Oregon against their comp ninety nine point nine 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 percent of their competition yeah throw it to her and she has to get doubled so it's just you know at her, at her size you know is she gonna can she start shooting the fifteen footer a little bit just can she add a few you know extra things to her game a little more often to just to help her out I maybe someone believes that but I I, I haven't quite. I didn't quite see her in that range. Cool. Uh, so before we, you know, you know, kind of say who we who we think the links might go with at six, let's talk about the second round. And um, you know, just need just maybe trying to understand 
who is in the mix in this range uh, for the links. Obviously, as you go down the board, it gets even harder to, you know, kind of narrow it down to a few names. But if you could, if you were so bold as to narrow it down to a few names uh, for the links, uh, I believe with the 16th pick, uh, you know, what would you what would you be looking at? Who would you be kind of in that range? Just some names for links fans to maybe have have in the back of their minds as the draft happens here on Friday. I think in this range, there's a lot of two, twos, threes that are, are interesting. And I think there's a lot of them to the point where, you know, I think it, it's probably a good shot that at least one of them sticks somewhere just so they can get to a good situation where a roster spot's available. Uh, you know, Tiny Smartin, it was someone who was mentioned as a early entrant. She went back to school and her numbers really, really dipped, but then she also had... Uh, the uh, the incident coming into the season where she was suspended for undisclosed violation and then was later revealed that it was uh, battery and she was reinstated uh, in November but so there's that'll be another player well just what what teams can find out will kind of dictate a lot what kind of range she'll go in Kyla Charles out of Maryland big body on the wing can put it on the floor but just do people think she'll be able to add the three to her game Jocelyn Willoughby, another wing out of Virginia. She had an awesome year. Statistically, she's really long. Uh, really did a good job getting to the foul line. Uh, you know, really probably the best, one of the best, probably the best finisher in this range. And maybe Kit, Lox- Kit Loxa, Florida, South Florida. She played internationally for a year instead of trying to get a red shirt year back to play one more year in college. Just a, a big time you know, shooter. You know, I, I liken her to Sammy Whitcomb just because she has the quick release. But you know, percentage-wise, she was unbelievable, taking a lot of really hard shots. And then the last name I'll throw out, just because I, I just I throw her out for end of the first, second round, whatever. Just Joiner Holmes. I mean, Joiner has she's a power forward, but I mean, she has the body. She is an unbelievable athlete, grab and go. Uh, that's the player in this range. I hope somebody does it just looks at her as we think she can be our Alyssa Thomas and she might not be ready to play and she might not do it right away but I hope I hope someone kind of takes that shot on her and as we kind of talked about before we started is is you know what what might the Lynx really have to offer just in terms of of making a spot available right yeah that's that's the crunch around the league overall pretty much is kind of the case that it's going to be hard for teams to bring in multiple players uh, you know, only 144 spots in the league, and you know, some are, some are, you know, some teams are rolling with 11 instead of 12. Makes it even harder there. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's also that's something the links will be thinking about here, and that, that makes it ha- even harder too. Do you simply just take the best player on your board at that level, or do you take the player who maybe has a chance to has a higher chance of making your team? You know, and sort of like look at it positionally. I could, I could kind of see the focus kind of going either way. Um, you know, at that point in the draft. For the links, so you know it's kind of it's kind of tough to see how you know maybe what they're thinking or sort of how they're kind of what they know about the, their roster for this season and, and kind of how they see the depth chart uh, working out. But that's good that we have some names uh, there to look at. Um, ben, let's let's get to it. Who who do you think uh, the links? Um, I don't know. It, it should slash will select. I guess for me, you you've got me you've got me on. Uh, you know, you you've definitely got me on the Bella Allery train right now. Okay, I think I think it's sort of silly to sort of over you know overlook her just because of the you know competition that she played against. If you think the skills are there, if you like kind of where her body's at and can kind of see her projecting um, forward at the next level. Um, you know, just the fact that she didn't play for one of these big name schools against the top level competition. I don't know if you have the right intel, if you believe in sort of, um, you know, sort of your process of, of evaluating these players. It seems like uh, she might be the best selection for the link. So I guess I would lean towards that, all things even here. But I don't know. Obviously, you are higher on her as well. Um, but I don't know. Is, is there somebody else who you'd pick over her, or, or is she also the name that you could see the, the links going for here on Friday? Yeah, when I did when I did a mock draft, I had I had Allery go five to Dallas, so then I ended up going with Mom Premier. So, and, and again, like for the people that are you know like the point guards a little bit more than those two, like I get pushing them up and and yeah, you know, going back to Reeves' comments, if Ty Harris 
is there at six? Does that change how they're thinking? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I would say Allery, you know, if all these players are there, I think that's the one for them. I think it gets tougher if she goes at five. Um, but I think, I think Allery would be pretty fun for them. And, and other than that, you know, I think it's close, but yeah, Allery, uh, Allery would be the, I think, a, a nice, a nice outcome for them. Yeah, I don't necessarily need a point guard, but or, sorry, a power forward. But uh, you know, you make it work. You know, it's all good. You know, who cares? Who cares what you already have? I mean, I think the links are out of place right now. Yeah, especially with what the roster is now and kind of where things project for the next few years. That you know, they're they're they can do they can do this. You know, they don't need to you know they don't need to go for a specific need that they have right now so that they can you know make a make a run or whatever. I, I just don't see that in the cards. So you know, it definitely seems like they should just go with whoever the overall best player is that they have right there and you know position be damned and, and just go with it so yeah that, that would be interesting uh, if they if they go whoever picks whoever picks Allery is definitely gonna you know I think in a surprise you know again I think just that consensus of some of these bigger name players and these players who are on tv a little bit more and that kind of stuff whoever reaches up and grabs Allery you know if she does kind of go in that mid mid first round rather than towards the end of the first round I think it's going to raise some eyebrows but I like it. I like uh, I like going for for what you believe in and maybe taking a little risk with it. That's okay with me. Um, cool. And anything else? Anything else to add about the draft as far as what you're looking forward to or uh, what you expect uh, to happen? Well, the big big thing is I, I just wonder if if a trade happens and specifically something with the top, you know, let's say seven picks. You know, obviously something lower could happen too, and it could have an impact. But you know, at the at that top. Now that the Tina Charles trade has happened, does does something else happen there? I think I guess that's the because everyone everyone was looking at Dallas and Dallas was was a part of that trade with Tina. So now with what they have left, I guess does does something else happen? Is is the big thing for me? Yeah, and with Dallas again having the the sandwich picks there, um, you know, with uh, five and seven, uh, with Minnesota kind of being in between there. You know, at six, it just seems again more. It just seems ripe for possibility of even just a move up or down one spot right there, um, just to get that player and again maybe an asset or whoever it is is making that deal. It just seems like yeah, like to your point, it seems something that could be there uh, with Dallas having their situation with all these different picks and stuff like that. So we'll be uh, we'll be looking for that. Ben Dole, appreciate you joining the Los Links talk show today. Please, everybody, if you're not already, please follow Ben on uh, Twitter at Ben underscore Dull, D-U-L-L. You know, again, for for your year-round women's basketball needs, whether it be college or WNBA, he's got you covered down there in uh, San Diego. Covered the covers the the Pac-12, covers the Aces, you know, B-ball index, high post hoops. Uh, ben, you moving back to Vegas for this season potentially? It's probably probably a ghost town right now. There, I don't know if there's much going on in Vegas right now. Yeah, that's a tough question to answer. We'll see what what any timeline looks like. Should there be a season? I was kind of leaning that way, but but when I was still thinking it would start as scheduled, but we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. So you never know where you might you might see Ben Dull in a gym somewhere watching some women's basketball. Ben, once again, thank you so much for joining the show, and uh, thank you for informing me and our uh, our audience here about uh, call- women's college basketball and what might happen on Friday. Appreciate you having it on the show. Thanks for having me on.